Hello, everyone. This is Dave McGilvery, and you're listening to the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. Welcome to the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. We feature destination races from across the country. And after the race, we take you on a tour of the best local food and beverage to celebrate. So whether you are an elite runner or a back of the packer like us, you'll know the best places to accomplish, explore, and indulge on your next runcation. When you go to DaveMcGilvery.com, you are met with the words, dream big, finish strong. This mantra can be seen throughout Dave McGilvery's life, from his storied run across the U.S. in 1978 to benefit the Jimmy Fund, to his time as a Boston Marathon race director since the 1980s, he's found a way to marry running with supporting those in need. Recently, we've finished reading one of his books, The Last Pick, The Boston Marathon Race Director's Road to Success. And we're so honored to have this icon and inspirational figure in the running community on our show. Welcome to the Runny Drink Podcast, Dave McGilvery, and thank you for taking time to talk with us. First, thank you for saying my name correctly. That means a lot. <laughs> I'm so happy. And, um, thanks for reading my book, The Last Pick, because I haven't even read it yet. And <laughs> even though I wrote it or co-wrote it, but when other people say that they read it, it just, I don't know, it just means a lot to me that people would take the time to do that. So when my question for you is... When are you going to do an audio book version so we can take it on a run with us? It's funny because I just contacted the publisher about ordering more books. I'm giving a speaking engagement to this corporation and they want to order hundreds of books and I'm out of them. Ooh. And so they started saying, what well, we can do it this way or we can do it that way. So interestingly, maybe sometime very soon, because that's where the world is heading. Maybe that'll come to fruition soon. Excellent. I love spoken word content on, oh, yeah. on long runs, especially. So excited for that. Yeah. Sounds good. That's great. Well, it, thank you for it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, thank you for encouraging me to do that because you have to sort of sense that the world wants something like that before you make the effort in doing it. So just hearing that even you folks in your role with your podcast and everything else, it's something that I'll probably put on my dance card to get done now. I love that. And I so enjoy it when the author reads the book. I know that it's really hard to do, but like with Catherine Switzer's book, I it was so great to have her along the run. I can only imagine what it'll be like when you do yours. I'm so excited for that. And in terms of the written word in your book, I just, I guess I'm starting at the beginning and you talk about what shaped your childhood mm -hmm. and the uh, the words you had uh, above your bed. Can you talk a little bit about sure. that and what your dream was that led off your incredible career and amazing life? Thanks. First of all, I like all the medals in the background. That's cool. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I see a couple of books back there that I have in my bookshelf too. Fitz, Fitz book and, and Marathon book. You guys get it, you know, yeah. you're, you're into this. I appreciate that. For me, you know, growing up in in Boston, you're surrounded by sports. It's just the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Patriots, the Bruins, the this, that, and the other, all the college athletics and stuff. So it was just all around me as a young boy. And I just sort of morphed into somebody who wanted to be a professional athlete as a young child. Mm. So I would work really hard at that, baseball and basketball in particular. But unfortunately, because of my short stature, I tended to be the person who was always the last pick, hence the book. So my friends would pick sides and I got Pete, I got Ralph, I got Tom, I got Fred, I got Sally, I have Jane. They pick the girls over me and then it's like, oh, all right, I got Dave. And, and that sense of almost rejection was really hard, really hard, like not feeling like you're not wanted or needed or appreciated or talented. And then in high school, I would go out for the basketball, baseball teams. And 
inevitably I was the last one, not the last one picked. I wasn't picked. I was cut. So that even had a more devastating impact on me. So I remember one time when the high school coach cut me and he uh, he come up to me and he puts his arm around me and he said, Dave, if you were five inches taller, you'd be my starting guard. And I looked at him and I went, huh? Coach, I thought it had to do with ability level, you know, not how tall you were. So I challenged the center to one-on-one, the 21. He was six foot five. I was five, four, 0.387 on a really good day. And I beat him. And for me, what happened that moment has happened to me many times in my life. That is, that was a defining moment in my life. And we all have defining moments in our lives. Some are good, some are not so good. It's really all a matter of how you process them and how you respond to them. So I played one-on-one against this guy and I beat him. And I threw the ball off the court and I walked away. And I said to myself at the ripe old age of like 15, I will never, ever, ever allow anyone to tell me I'm not good enough. Mm. So I went home that night and I put a sign over my bed and the sign said, please, God, make me grow. And he obviously must have been on vacation or answering someone else's prayer because he didn't make me grow. Although, as I look back on my life in retrospect, I said, son of a gun, he did make me grow. He made me grow in so many other ways. He made me grow morally and ethically, spiritually, intelligently, mentally. He made me grow internally because that's really where it's all happening is who you are inside, not who you are physically. So what did I start to do? Started to run. Why? Nobody can catch you from running. You just go run. And so I just started challenging myself to doing athletic feats just for me, not to prove anyone else wrong, but to prove me right, that I believed in myself and I knew I could become an athlete someday. And that's how it all sort of got started. And really from that very formative moment, it just took off and you've had this amazing career Let's fast forward just a little bit. I want to ask about your run in 1978. Yeah. Why in the world would you choose to run across the country? Again, with running, it's somewhat of an individual sport. You can run on a cross-country team or a track team and add up the points. But ultimately, you're out there on your own. You live or die on your own effort and not someone handing you the ball or throwing you the ball. So for me, I started setting these goals of like when I was 12 years old, this a, a pond where I lived and I ran around the pond. It was six miles. And then later on, later in the afternoon after cake and ice cream, I was like, I better burn this off. And I ran around the pond again. And coincidentally, I had run 12 miles on my 12th birthday. And I thought that was pretty cool. So when I turned 13, what did I do? I ran 13 or 14, 14, 15, 15. So I've been running my age on my birthday <clears throat> for the last 56 years. And people say to me all the time, what the heck are you going to do when you turn 90? And I said, well, first of all, I want to be breathing and then get out of bed. I don't know. Why do I have to decide today what I'm going to do when I'm 25 years from now? But Mm -hmm. I have a motto in my life. And my motto is, it's my game. So it's my rules. Mm. And that's how I've lived my life. It's my life to live as I so see fit. And I tell kids this all the time. You do. I mean, you have to listen to your teachers, your parents, your mentors, your coaches and all that. But at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow and it's really up to you to make the move. So I started moving and I started setting goals. Mm -hmm. And I had heard about a friend of mine who had biked across the United States from Method Mass to Method Oregon. And I thought, son of a gun, if he can bike across the country, I can run across the country. Well, that's an idiotic comparison biking and running, obviously. But, but yeah, but I said, no, I, I, gotta, I need to do this. I need to do this. And prior to that is the story about my first Boston Marathon, which really morphed into my run across the country. And I'll tell you about the run. But my first Boston, I was a senior in high school, 17 years old. And I heard about the Boston Marathon on the radio and stuff. And I said, maybe someday I could run that. So I decided as a senior in high school, I was going to go run the Boston Marathon. Now, there are no qualifying times at, the, at that time, but you had to be 18. I was only 17. 
So I guess you could say I was abandoned. Don't tell the race director that. So I, I called up my grandfather, who was a supporter of my athleticism. And I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go run that race in Boston. He mm-hmm. goes, oh, they call that the Boston Marathon. I said, oh, well, that's a good name for it. I'm going to go run it. And he said, well, I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. I said, great. Where's that? He said, 24 miles. He lived right near it. He was just going to walk over to Coolidge Corner. I said, okay. My brother drove me to the start. I took off. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I get to the 20-mile point, the hills in Newton, the famous heartbreak hill, and bam, down I go. Down I go, flat out in the hills. I got taken to the local Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. I got to the hospital. My parents come pick me up. They drove me home. I called my grandfather. No answer. Call him again. No answer. Finally, 9 o'clock at night, he answers the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He said, Dave, where have you been? I've been waiting for you all night. The old man, Kelly, goes by. The street sweepers go by. No, Dave. I said, yeah, I know. I, I quit. He said, what? I said, I failed. He said, no, you didn't fail. I said, no, what I do? He said, you learned. I said, great. What I learned? You learned that you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. You had no business being in that race. You didn't train for that. You didn't earn the right to do it. And I said, okay, fair enough. I agree. He said, I've cut another deal with you. I said, what? He said, you train for that next year. I'll be here waiting for you. I said, deal. Two months later, he died. And I said, I got to do this. I got to do it for grandpa. I was running 120, 130 miles a week as a possessed 18-year-old out of high school in college. I said, I'm going to run officially my first marathon, my first Boston marathon. And I was ready to go. And the day before I got sick and my parents said, you can't run. I said, I have to run. The newspapers are saying, Dave running in memory of grandfather. And they said, you're just too sick. And I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me before? And what's that? I said, a chance. It's what? I said, a chance. I said, isn't that all we ever want in life is a chance to accomplish something, to do something? Okay, fine. So they drove me to the start. I took off. Ugh, it was awful. I was so sick. At five miles, I was ready to forget about it. There's nothing left in the tank here. And I kept going. And the halfway point, I saw my parents. And there's my mother. And what's she doing? She's crying. Why? Because that's what mothers do. They cry. Why? Because they're so worried about you. And they're going through more pain than you'll ever go through worrying about you as a parent. But then there's my father. And what's he doing? He's taking pictures of my mother crying. And I said, okay, great. Keep going. Keep going. I keep going. I got to the point where I dropped out the year before. I'm doing a survivor shuffle over the hill. And at 21.5, bam, down I go again. Dropped out two years in a row. Now, I just got through telling you I wanted to be an athlete. I'm the last one cut, the last one picked, drop out of my first Boston, drop out of my second Boston. Bingo, another defining moment. And all of a sudden, I looked around. I said, this place looks familiar, but I know I've never been here. Or I have. I've been here. And I looked behind me, and I'm sitting in front of the Evergreen Cemetery, and that's where they buried my grandfather. And that son of a gun said he'd be here. There he is right there. His gravestone's right there. He said he'd be here. He kept his end of the deal. Now, he wasn't there physically because it's not all about the physical person, right? right? He was there spiritually. And so I picked myself up and I continued on and I finished in four and a half hours. And I said to myself, I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life and honor and tribute to the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do these things. Mm. And I've run it for the last 50 years. And again, that morphed into what else do I want to do? And when I decided to run across the country, I said, I have to do what my grandfather taught me to do. And that is to earn the right to do this. Mm. So I trained, trained, trained for four years. And I was working in the John Hancock Tower in Boston at the time as I was studying to be an actuary. And I looked out and I saw Fenway Park and I saw a sign in right field. And the sign said, help make a dream come true, support the Jimmy Fund. I wasn't even sure what the Jimmy Fund was, but I called the Jimmy Fund and I talked to a guy by the name of Ken Coleman and I said, hi, Mr. Coleman, my name is Dave and I want to run across the country for the Jimmy Fund. Well, after he picked himself up off the floor, he says, okay, great. The Red Sox will support you. Jimmy Fund will support you. Let's do this. And I said, before I do it, I have to find out what the Jimmy Fund is all about. So I went in to the Jimmy Fund clinic and I saw those kids. And I knew at the time that the battle that I was about to fight by running over five and a half million footsteps across America was in no way as difficult as the battle that these kids are fighting for their own life. And I saw another sign, the sign on the Jimmy Fine Clinic wall. And the sign said, God made only so many perfect heads. The rest of them have hair on it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we're turning a negative into a positive. And I said, I'm going to do this. 
for these kids. I'm going to do this for a greater purpose. And thus began my career of combining philanthropy with personal goal setting. And so I was able to run across the country, finish in Fenway Park in front of 32,000 people. And that was the day I realized I became the athlete I always wanted to be. I always wanted to play second base in Fenway Park. But if I can't play in Fenway, I was going to run in Fenway. And that solidified my, my objective and my goal of becoming an athlete. And prospects helped you realize that dream also. It was funny. I had a sponsor. It was a magazine called The Runner. And it was just coming out and published out of New York City. And, I, and so the magazine was coming out in August. And I was going to be coming right through New York right around August. So their campaign was The Runner, the magazine, is coming. Well, I was going to be the runner that was coming all at the same time. And then at the last minute, they backed out. And then I didn't have a sponsor with three weeks to go. I was like, ah, what do I do? And then this company Prospects that was in, um, in Massachusetts, I connected with them and they said they would, they would sponsor me. So I was very fortunate to be able to get a sponsor at the last minute to be able to help get, afford to get myself across the country. So you had a whole, you had them behind you, you had friends, you had family, you had a great support system. You're out there and you're doing the miles all. It's you. And I'm all of us have times in our lives as runners when we are in a training run or when we are in a race and we're really, it's tough and we're not sure that we can finish. Mm -hmm. And you have just told us an amazing story about what gave you the impetus, that lesson from your grandfather that gave you the impetus to finish the Boston Marathon. Was there a tough moment during that cross-country run where you had your doubts and and something in particular helped you overcome that and drive you to that finish in Fenway? Yeah, I mean, it's all all about one word. I guess it's about a lot of words, but one in particular (laughs) is perspective, right? Putting things in perspective. And for me, when I... When I run up, no pun intended, uh, against challenge or situations where I just I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish this, I just say I'm so appreciative that I can even attempt it. Mm. Right? And so many I've seen so many other people who would love to be in the position I'm in, but they're ill, they're sick, or they're this or they're that or whatever it might be, and they're not <clears throat> even able to get in the game, let alone win or lose the game. So for me, it's just a matter of I always I'm always appreciative of being being able to be out on the road. There was one incident in the desert. I had run about a thousand miles and I was 15 miles into the day. I was averaging 45, 50 miles every single day. And I was in the desert. It was about 120 degrees and I'm running along and all of a sudden my left knee just went on me. I was like, I, not only can I not run, I can't even walk. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, is this it? You know, and but just it hit me, which stung that I said, how can I finish this? Like, how can I not? How can I drop out right here? So I said to my guys, you got to bring me to the hospital and we got to take a look at this. So they threw me in the motorhome, drove 40 miles to the nearest hospital. We went into the emergency room. The doctor looked at it and he said, how do you think it happened? And I said, I, I was out joking. If I said to him, I was running 45, 50 miles a day for the last month, he'd say, well, probably stop doing that. Well, Mm -hmm. I I can't. I can't stop doing this. I'm committed to do this. So I basically just left. And I said to myself, "Um, I'm fit. I'm prepared. I earn the right to do this. Something is amiss. Don't treat the problem. Treat the cause. What caused this? And we're driving back to where I had not ended that day, but stopped. And I figured it out. And I said, son of a gun, as I looked at the road, the road is crowned, as you know, for water runoff, especially in the desert. And I was doing all my miles on one side of the road because I like to look at the traffic coming at me so I know what's about to hit me. Sure. And, uh, and I realized I'm going to have to alternate. I'm going to have to go to each side of the road because one leg is sort of doing more work than the other. Mm. So I started doing that for the next couple of days. The injury went away. 
completely went away. Now, if I didn't do that, there's a really good chance that either I'd still be out there or um, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have made it. So my, my point being is that don't just give up. Think about even in this pandemic, right? It's, it's all about pivoting. I hate that word, but it is. It's true. If you can't go left, you go right. There's always a path. There's always a way. Don't just quit because the way you're going is not allowing you to proceed. Then kind of angle to the right a little bit and you'll find a way to get to where you need to go. So that's what happened with me. Yes, it's actually funny that you even said it that way. When yeah. when the pandemic struck, we're a travel podcast for oh, runners. Yeah. When you can't travel, there are no races being held. How do you do a podcast like that? So we had to, as you said, pivot and make some modifications. Yeah. And, and I think came out of the other side better for it. So I uh, understand completely. Yeah. Now, yeah. I want to fast forward a little bit <clears throat> to the 80s. Yeah. We've talked about some distance events here, of course, but then you started getting into timed events, specifically 24-hour events, uh, run, a bike ride, swim. What what attracted you to, or was there something specific about the 24-hour events that attracted you? Just the endurance side of it, because that sort of was in my DNA, endurance. I had started doing triathlons and I read, after I ran across the country, I read the May issue of the 1979 Sports Illustrated and it talked about the second Ironman triathlon in Oahu. And I read it 2.4 miles in the rough open ocean water, 112 miles on a bike, 26.2 miles on the run, all in one day, right up my alley. But I had two problems. One is I really didn't know how to swim and I didn't own a bike. So I thought about what my grandfather said, you got to run the right. So I quickly learned how to swim. And I biked and I trained and I went to Hawaii in 1980 and did the Ironman. And I finished 14th out of, there was 108 of us. None of us knew what we were doing. It was just all bump and grind, just grinding through the thing. It wasn't finesse by any stretch in the imagination, but just do the best you can. Just hang on for dear life. And that's what we did. And when I came home from that, I just said, I love this stuff. I want to challenge myself. So with the 24-hour run, I hooked up with a charity. I charted a course, a 120-mile course around southeastern Massachusetts, 31 cities and towns. And I hooked up with the New England Patriots because I asked them if I could finish there. They said yes. So I ran 120 miles in 24 hours, finished halftime in front of 60,000 people at Gillette Stadium, or what is now Gillette Stadium. It's funny, people ask me all the time, you have a tendency of running into stadiums all the time. I said, yeah, because if I finished in front of my house, I'd have my mother, my father, six, <laughs> pigeon, six pigeons and three squirrels. Like oh. I'm trying to create an awareness of a cause, of a mission, of a purpose. I'm trying to raise money. So my operational, organizational, logistical mindset says, bring it to the people because it's going to be hard to have the people come to you. And that's what I've done. And that's why I've helped raise 200, 300 million dollars for various charities all over the country doing these events personally, as well as through my company and raising all because I'm thinking outside the box as to how best to be successful at this event. So I did the 24 hour run and then I did a 24 hour swim in my high school pool. I swam about 27 miles. Like like the marathon. I swam the whole Boston Marathon. It was pretty cool. And then then I did a 24-hour bike ride. That was interesting because I had the very first triathlon I directed coming out of the Ironman was called the Bay State Triathlon in Massachusetts. And Mm -hmm. I directed that for a couple of years. And then I decided to do this bike ride on the Bay State Triathlon course while the Bay State Triathlon was going on. As I directed the Bay State Triathlon, I took a two-way radio with me. So it was a mile swim, a triathlon, and then a 40-mile bike and a 10-mile run. Well, the bike and the run were on this five-mile loop course that I was doing my 24-hour bike ride for. So it was pretty cool that I started like two in the afternoon on a Saturday. The race was on Sunday. All of a sudden, five in the morning, I could see the triathletes arriving. And then all of a sudden, they did the swim. And then they're all 500 triathletes are joining me on my bike ride. And then (laughs) they get on the run. And now I'm the only biker out there while 500 people are running. And then all of a sudden they all finish. 
and they had the award ceremony and they all left and I'm by myself again, <laughs> 24 hours later. That was pretty cool. So all these things have a goal, have a purpose, have a reason for being, have a physical challenge. I involve people. I try to make it unique, different, creative, not just, just get on a racetrack, a running track and run 24 hours. That, that doesn't intrigue me. Running through 31 cities and towns throughout the state was pretty, you know, having a motorhome follow you and a police escort, that was pretty cool. Yeah. You have created those moments for yourself that you craved being in Fenway. You wanted to be a part of the professional athlete environment and you also wanted to give back. So you found a way to combine all of that into those experiences and really your logistical, your race director's mindset, your positivity is high toward marketing. Yeah. How many eyeballs can I get on this cause? Yeah. How many? It's not just about me. That's you. No. And I always want to be careful to try to be humble, to try to not always. I don't want. Yeah. Sometimes things, the focus is on me. I get it. But that's not my intent. My intent is to involve a lot of people, to give back. That's, it all, for me, when I started my business of putting on races, people looked at me like, what are you, nuts? You you really think you can earn a living putting on road races? I said to them, I'm not putting on road races. They go, what? I said, I'm not just putting on road races, but what are you doing? I said, what I'm doing is I'm helping to raise the level of self-confidence and self-esteem of tens of thousands of people in America. Mm. They're like, what? (laughs) I said, no, that's what I do. And it's almost like people say, I say to I ask people, what do you think the hottest part about running a marathon is? They're like, you know, what? I said, signing the application. Because once you sign the application, you commit, then you have to earn the right. Then you earn the right and you toe the line. Then you answer the gun. You run the course, you cross the finish line, you get a medal and then magic happens. You go home feeling good about yourself. And there's nothing more powerful in this world than to feel good about yourself, because that's the foundation by which we accomplish everything in our lives. So it's almost like a trick in a sense that I know what I'm doing. It's like that's great success. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why this pandemic was so sort of jolting to me, because I always thought this sport of running and participating in road races and triathlon and all that was bulletproof. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought we were going to be brought to our knees ever economy wise or anything wise. Like I said, this is going to grow and grow and grow. And it did. And then the pandemic came and it proved me wrong in the sense that, well, there was one thing that put us to our knees because every one of my events got canceled, but now we're on the road to and another motto I have is the comeback is always stronger than the setback. And mm. such is the case of what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. I have read the book. We have, watched countless interviews and watched the Boston documentary number of times. Multiple uh, times. A number of times. I might know some of it by heart (laughs) (laughs) because it's so inspiring to me. The race itself, the journey of the race, the, the your running of it and being the very last finisher Every year since you started to direct the race in 1988, you've talked about your run across the country and what led you to that was coming back from your run across the country and being fired from your job. And it, can you talk a a little bit about why that's the best thing that's ever happened to you? Like you've said in the past times you might go through your early part of your life truly not knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life. Like, how do you know as a 14, 15 year old what you want to do for the rest of your life? So I just was doing what I was good at. And I was good at logistics. And so math was sort of the way for me to go, which was fine, but it wasn't my passion. So health and fitness and athletics was my passion. And so when I ran across the country, I was in my element. Like I I had combined organization because I organized my own run across the country with philanthropy because I was raising lots of money for sick kids. 
with athleticism. You know, so I said, that's the world I want to live in right there. Mm. But would I, ha- would I have made the change on my own? I don't know. But when I got back, my then boss, are you coming back to work tomorrow? I said, I just finished running across the country. Like, can I have a couple of days? You know, and I was being asked to be on all these TV shows, Good Morning America and Tonight Show and just all this stuff around the country. And I wanted to take advantage of that, of course. And then three or four days later, I got a termination letter. And I was at first disappointed, like, geez, this is what I get for raising money for sick kids. But then I thought, yeah, okay. And it's again, it's that same thing with the kids. God made only so many perfect heads. The rest of them have hair on it, turning negatives into a positive. And that's exactly what happened. I could have been full of self-pity that I just got fired. And I was like, all right, not that I'm going to show, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show him. It's just that, okay, now I'm free to follow my heart, to follow my passion. And that's when I opened up an athletic footwear and clothing store in my hometown, just because, and I could. And then I started putting on events to promote the store. And I let, I realized I like putting on events more than shoes on people's feet. And, and then I just developed an event management business and we've done 1600 events, everything from the Olympic games to US Olympic trials, to Goodwill games, to Boston marathon for 35 years, to the Singapore marathon, places in South America and the Caribbean, the triathlon world championship at Walt Disney World in Florida. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And I found, I, I combined a hobby running with a vocation, putting on events. I love it. And the fact that you've been able to combine those things and make such an amazing career out of it, I think Mm. is, that's inspirational. Yeah. And what I like to know is people who I find inspiring, like yourself, I want to know who you find inspiring. You've been around all of these amazing people and all these races, like the Boston and all these others that you've put on. Who inspires you? You know, it's, it's not, if someone said to you, who do you idolize? I don't idolize anyone. And that's not to be rude. It's just, I respect people. I don't Mm -hmm. idolize them. I don't want to be just like them. I want to be just like me. I want to take me and I want to work really hard and accomplish. It's funny. When I was asked by kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, that's a good (laughs) question. I'm not sure. I was driving down the highway and I saw a billboard out there one day and it had one word on it. It said, accomplisher. I said, that's it. That's what I want to be in life, an accomplisher. I just want to set goals, work hard, earn the right, accomplish it, check it off the list and move on to the next one. Right. And so being an accomplisher is in my DNA. So again, who inspires me is everyone, everyone. And I, there's a line in my book, I bet Midler, I don't know if you remember it, but she said, the worst part about success is finding someone who's happy for you. Happy for you. Yes. Yeah. That is the bane of my existence sometimes. My people who aren't thrilled with me personally, I haven't wronged anyone or hurt anyone. They're just, they're jealous or they're envious or whatever they are, they are. And it's sad because anytime anyone else accomplishes something, I'm thrilled for them. I'm happy for them. I acknowledge them. I point it out. And I said, you just inspired me. You just did an Ironman or did a marathon and you did this. And I read about it. I saw it on Facebook and it's just, I'm getting out the door tomorrow. So it's infectious. We inspire each other. Yeah. And we've talked about it a lot yeah. with the running community and mm-hmm. actually, especially during the pandemic, we made so oh. many connections with people yeah. virtually, with virtual races mm-hmm. and through the podcast and through mm-hmm. some live streaming. And what we have found over the years of, of running, and we're now both of us over a decade running, yeah. is yeah. that some of the most supportive people that we have ever met are runners that we've never met. Mm. In person. Happens to me all the time. I got a Facebook message from somebody yesterday and she had some questions or whatever. I never met the woman and she put a phone number in the post. I called her right away. I said, hi, this is Damien Govey. You just sent me something. So I'm 
hand up, respond, or answer your question. This is Dave McGillery. I said, yeah. You called me? I said, yeah, why wouldn't I? She says, you're Dave McGillery. I said, I know I'm Dave McGillery. And I see it in my license. And I said, listen, I'm no better than you. We're all in this thing together. We're, we support one another. I have never not emailed someone back ever. I have never not called anyone back ever. And I, I'll never stoop so low to think I'm more important than anyone else that if they call me or email me, that I won't respond. I will never, never do that. Because if they, if I'm important enough to them that they're reaching out to me, then they're important enough to me that I should respond. And that's how I feel about the industry. But I feel that way about everyone, not just the industry. You say you've been inspired by others and you have been inspiring to others. You, you've been inspired not to stop. There's no retire I, in your vocabulary from what I can see in all of your writing and interviews and everything you've done. What is with the seven marathons, seven continents and seven days challenge? How did that speak to you? It was around a couple of years before I did it in 2019. And a friend of mine called me up and he said, have you heard of the marathon, World Marathon Challenge? I said, yeah. He says, you want to do it? I said, it's a $47,000 entry fee. I don't know that I want to spend $47,000 doing it, but he goes, no, don't worry about it. I have sponsors and I'm putting a team together and I want you to be part of the team. I said, sign me up. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Look right up my alley. Running 26 miles, seven days in a row. I've done that before. Not on seven different continents, but I've done it before. Again, realizing about the message my grandfather taught me, I said, I can't commit to this until I earn the right to do it. So Mm -hmm. I went out and maybe eight months before it, I ran a marathon on Sunday around my neighborhood and then a marathon on Monday around my neighborhood. And then a marathon on Tuesday around my neighborhood. And then a half marathon on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then around my neighborhood. And then Saturday, I went out and ran the Boston Marathon course. So I ran four marathons and three halves in a week. And I said, okay, I'm going to commit to it. And someone said to me, you're training a lot of miles really early, huh? I said, I'm not training. That wasn't training. That was earning the right to do it. That was me convincing myself that as a 63-year-old, I could do this. I could do it. Then I did the training. And then I went ahead and did it. And it was interesting because there were 50 of us on this trip. We all met in Cape Town, South Africa. Mm -hmm. Athletes, runners from all over the world, uh, Chinese and Japanese and Aussies and Great Britain and from all over the world. And we met there and we jumped on a chartered plane. That was our plane for the trip. Flew down to Antarctica, ran a marathon there, got back on the plane, flew back to Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And 10 hours later, we were running a marathon in Cape Town. And, and Antarctica was like 10 degrees. Cape Town was like 85. Oh, my God. Ooh, and a, yeah, it's a big swing. So <laughs> ran a marathon there, then jumped back on the plane and flew to Perth, Australia, did a marathon there, and then flew to Dubai in Asia, and then Lisbon, Portugal, and the Cartagena in South America and Colombia, and then finished up in Miami. For me, the running was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was the easiest part of the journey. The toughest part was for me, sleep deprivation. Um, I don't sleep uh, well. On the planes, and it was really, really hard for me to sleep on the plane. Everyone mm-hmm. else was sleeping. I was going to run around the plane and scream and yell and keep everyone awake because it wasn't fair that they were sleeping and I wasn't. I'm like, I was going to stop banging drums and stuff. You're that guy on group trips. Okay. (laughs) I'd be thrown off the plane, but I just, I couldn't. So I I just thought maybe after three marathons, I'm going to crash and burn because I got to get some sleep, but I survived. And then the diet, the nutrition part of it all is a delicate balance. And the rat race in between, getting your luggage, going through customs, waiting in line, all that, finding a place to shower if you could. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't. Just all the stuff in between the races was the hard part. Mm -hmm. But it was a great adventure. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to hear a little bit about your foundation. Specifically, talk a little bit about DMSC Sports and the Dave McGillivray Finish Strong Foundation. If you let the Run Camp Commission know Starting with the run across the country, I hooked up with the Jimmy Fund. and And then I started doing a lot of 
fundraising for them. And then I started doing a lot of fundraising for a lot of other charities. Then I just got to the point where I said, what's my legacy in all of this? I got, I got a couple of thank you notes here from these groups. That's nice. And that's okay, because I'm doing it for, for the cause. But be nice to have my own foundation and still support all these causes, but just have, have something that I can own. So I started my own foundation. And mainly, and we can talk about the children's books, but key is for me is <clears throat> about youth and about giving kids a chance, as I went through in life, to be given a chance to accomplish something, right? And about giving back. Right. Mm. So the three pillars are health and fitness. And then next would be education and literacy. And then philanthropy given back acts of kindness. That's why at the end of my children's books, I, I have what's called the dream big marathon challenge. And what that is, is challenging the kids to read 26 books, to run 26 miles and do 26 acts of kindness in 26 days. Um, I, I never want them to read the book and put it down and go play ping pong. I, I, <laughs> want, there to, I want there to be a call to action. Yeah. You know, if you're going to read this book, you're going you're gonna to be inspired. You're going to do something to make a difference in your life. And so I put the challenge to all the kids. And I have thousands and thousands of kids all over the country doing the Dream Big Marathon Challenge. So I always felt that that's the three pillars of my life my health, my fitness, all that. And then just education, literacy, cassettes, school and all that. And then acts of kindness, helping those who are less fortunate. So that's what my foundation's all about. And we'll link to your website so that the Runcation Nation can find out more about that. Yes. And about you and all the wonderful things, as well as the books that you have. I, it wouldn't be the Runny Drink podcast if we didn't ask you a question about food and beverage, eating and drinking. So I'll keep it simple and keep it to one question. You have just finished one of your many accomplishments, crossed a finish line, achieved a goal. What would be your go-to celebratory food and beverage? Okay. So I have to answer it. By talking about the then and the now. Okay. Okay. The then was before I was diagnosed with severe coronary artery disease. Mm. And the then was me thinking if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn. The then was me saying, if I go out for a 20 mile run, I can come home and have a half a pint of ice cream because I earned it. I earned that. <laughs> that was the then, right? Mm. And I could go on and on about the nutrition then. And it wasn't like I was a junk food junkie. It's just I made some bad choices. Over 50 years, it added up. Mm. So I was out running one day and I could feel some difficulty breathing. I'm like, what the heck? Did I tie my shoelaces wrong or get out, get out the wrong side of bed and eat the wrong thing last night? Why am I having difficulty breathing and why does my chest why why am I feeling some discomfort it just persisted and persisted and persisted and I said I better get this checked so I went to Mass General Hospital and they did echocardiograms pulmonary tests they did stress tests EKGs everything and they all said the same thing there's nothing wrong with you I said yes there is I can't breathe when I'm running and I said, guys, you got to give me the big boy. You got to look under the hood. Don't assume that because I'm an endurance athlete, there's nothing wrong with me. I can tell there's something wrong with me. Mm. So they did a CAT scan and an angiogram. And the doctor walks in and he's pointing at the monitor and he says, there, 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 and there. I said, there what? He said, you have severe coronary artery disease. Mm. I said, no, really? What, what's going on? He goes, no, you do. I said, that. You, you must be looking at the wrong chart. It can't be me. He says, it's you. I said, I said, first of all, I turned to the doctor and I said, zip it up. He said, what? I said, zip it up. Don't tell anyone. He says, why? I said, do you understand? I said, that's a ding in my armor. Like people think I'm this fitness guy. And all of a sudden now I'm ill. That's not good. So don't tell anyone. And then it leaked out. 
and people heard about it over a few weeks. And then I started getting these emails from other runners saying I had similar symptoms as you. And I thought that can happen to him. It can happen to me. And I went in the hospital and got checked and I walked out with three cents and you saved my life. I said, I saved your life. And I said to myself, Ben, I said, you selfish little son of a gun. You didn't want anyone to know because you felt that they would think a certain way about you. And now you've realized that you can help people. You can save lives, but letting people know that just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. Mm-hmm. I always thought it did. And that's my mission now. And, and then I turned to the doctor and I said, I got one question to ask you. And he said, what? I said, was this reversible? He said, well, it depends. And I said, depends on what? So it depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him. I'm over here. He says, you, with your discipline, I think you can have an impact in your own severe coronary artery disease. I said, sign me up. Let's go. And I went ballistic. I changed everything. I changed my diet, nutrition. I changed my sleep habits. I always thought sleep was overrated. I hate sleep. Everyone loves sleep. I hate it. Because he's lying down, accomplishing nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I just want to take a pill and lower my heart rate and, and still be able to get things done. Who invented sleep? I'm going to get them. But the point being is I always tried to get the most out of every day. That's all I was doing. So I probably should have gotten more sleep and stress. It was right around the time of the Boston Marathon bombings. Mm. Going through all of that and just going through a lot of other stressful kind of things in my life. And I said, it, all, it basically all adds up. I got to address every one of them. I got to put my big boy pants on and address them, get it done. And I did. And four months later, I had lost 27 pounds that I didn't have to lose, frankly, but I did. I lowered my cholesterol level by over 100 points. Mm. And I said, I want to go back to Hawaii and do the Ironman again. I haven't done it in 25 years. So I called the Ironman folks and they graciously said, yeah, you can do it. I said, great. They said, but you got to get a note from your doctor. I said, <laughs> Get a note from my doctor. I've never got a note from my doctor. Well, we don't want, we heard about you and <laughs> we don't want you going down in the lava fields. I'm like, mm-hmm. I went to my doctor and I said, can I get a note? And he said, no. I said, why? He says, I don't want you going down in the lava fields either. I said, well, what would it take? He says, well, we got to do another angiogram. I said, all right. Mm-hmm. So we did another angiogram and he's looking at it and he goes, oh my God. I said, what? He said, you have reversed your coronary artery disease by over 40% on your own. I said, okay, can I have the note? He goes, here's the note. So I went to Hawaii and that's when I did the Ironman. Mm. And I come back and the next two years, I was the fittest person you could ever imagine. I got so fit. I was, I was determined to beat this, this illness of mine. That was primarily hereditary, but it was in the genes. But it was also self-inflicted. So bang, bang, bang. And then I did the World Marathon Challenge. And then I came home from the World Marathon Challenge. And then I could feel the discomfort in my chest again. I went, I thought I beat this. And I went to my doctor and I said, I thought I beat this. He says, you can't run away from your genetics. Yeah. I said, what do we do? He says, we got to do another angiogram. And he saw 95% blockage. And I said to him, Whoa. Okay. What are my options? He said, you can, we can do nothing and you you have to live a sedentary life. I said, cross that off. (laughs) And then he said, we can stent it, but it's near your heart. It's a little risky. I said, you're not messing around with my heart. It's my arteries. It's not my heart. Stay away from there. Cross that off. He says, oh, we can do open heart surgery. Mm. And I looked at him, I go, nah, I don't want open heart surgery either. He said, you run out of options. And I said, okay, I got a question to ask you. He said, I said, in six months, there's this little race in Boston that I jogged through a few times. What do you think? He gave me the best possible answer. He didn't say, no, I don't think you can do it. Yes, I think you can. He said, I'd be extremely disappointed if you couldn't do it. I was like, oh. So it gave me that four-letter word, hope. Yeah. And I said, all right, let's do this. I had this open heart triple bypass surgery, and then there was a delicate balance between recovery and training. How do you do both? So you just got your chest opened up and had open heart surgery, and you're training for a marathon all at the same time. 
He said, are you foolish? Are you being reckless? You have a wife, you have five kids. Are you putting them at that all at risk because you want to run a road race? So all that's going through my head emotionally dealing with all of that. But I chipped away and chipped away. And I got to the point where I said, "I, I can do this. And I did. So that was my 47th consecutive Boston Marathon. But back to the nutrition. So after all of that, I changed everything. So people say, what's your diet now? And I say, my diet is basically it's let your conscience be your guide diet. Ooh. I just let my, let my conscience tell me what I don't read labels and count calories and do all that foolishness. You know, what's good. Generally speaking, you know, what's bad. Generally speaking, stay away from the bad stuff. Yeah. So I have stayed away from the bad stuff for the last seven or eight years. And I not only feel fit, I feel healthy, you know? So in terms of celebratory, I don't, I, my salad, celebratory drink might be a Gatorade. It's not, it's not a martini or a highball or a Bud Light or whatever. I, I celebrate in my own little way. I don't do well with big pomp and circumstance. Mm. My celebration is emotional in my head uh-huh. saying, I set that goal and I got, I did it. And I just feeling good about myself that mm-hmm. I accomplished what I set out to do is my celebration. What a great answer. Absolutely. And what an amazing message that you've brought to us today. And so to- many great messages for the Runcation Nation. We, I, hard work, determination, positivity. If, if you feel something, say something. Say something. That's my motto. Yeah. In terms of your health and well-being, how the celebration is is for you, how success breeds confidence to the next goal and the next goal. You you have an incredibly positive mindset. You've achieved so much and you've grown the running community with what you've done and given back to the community with what you've done. And it's been such an honor and a pleasure to speak to you today. And we hope to accomplish, explore, and indulge at a race where you are going to be really soon, Dave. Thank you so much for being on the Run, Eat, Drink podcast with us today. It's my pleasure. And just recognize that the way I look at everything, it's a team effort. I really believe that my greatest skill set is surrounding myself with people who are smarter, smarter than me. I may cross the finish line and get the medal, but then I cut the medal up and give it to a whole bunch of other people because without their support, I couldn't accomplish any of this. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. We're having another great year thanks to your support. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Run, Eat, Drink podcast. And on Twitter, we're Run, Eat, Drink pod. You can also give us a call at 941-677-2733 or send us an email at info at runeatdrink.net. Visit our website at runeatdrink.net and click on the subscribe link so you don't miss a minute. Find out how you can support the show at patreon.com slash runeatdrinkpodcast. Accomplish, explore, and indulge right along with us. We'll talk to you next time.